Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about the Martin McDonough film from 2008, In Bruges. Tom, why were you interested in talking about In Bruges? Well, actually, it's one of my girlfriend's favorite movies, so she's been dying to have us do an episode about a movie that she's actually seen. <laughs> she's quite busy. She doesn't watch as many movies as we do. So for me, it's one of my favorites as well. I think I've seen it like five, six times now. I actually didn't even plan on rewatching it for this episode, but I did it anyways. <laughs> I saw it again today. And it's funny because in my memory, it's always quite a tragic and sad film. But every time then I put it on, like I get like drawn into that place yeah all over again and i just uh, you almost forget like how funny it is also and yeah i think it's it's a fascinating movie about guilt and what ways there are for like atonement redemption and so yeah the, i actually got to visit bruges last december so i was gonna ask you that if you've been to bruges yeah actually it was supposed to be a birthday present for me my birthday is in april but then covid happened so it didn't happen but then last december like we were kind of passing by we were visiting my girlfriend's grandparents in paris and so it's kind of sort of on the way and it was like getting more possible with in terms of covid like we had been boosted or vaccinated and boosted and the numbers were a little bit better so we decided like okay let's just do it now and it was actually quite nice because it still was like quiet because the tourism hadn't yet picked up as it probably would have been in during normal times. So we actually went, there's the, the, the clock tower that's in the, in the movie as well. We visited and there's like this sign that says, okay, pay attention. Like from here on out, it's like a 45 minute wait. And so we kind of picked like besides the sign and there's no one there. So we walked like through the, the gate in which in the movie, that's actually where you have to pay. But in reality, you can like walk a little bit further and then you're in like the inner courtyard and then like still there was no one there and we walked up and then we went straight to like the cashier and then we just walked up and there was pretty much no one there like maybe three or four people we came pretty close to like the in bruges movie experience in terms of yeah yeah quietness it did look a little bit different up there it's all, obviously it's like all not wires but like uh, oh, like yeah. a grading uh, thing. Anyway, you cannot get out of there or like jump off right. as does happen in the movie. Spoiler alert, like right away, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> Is the swan still there? The swan. There are swans in, in Bruges, yeah. Did you go on the canals and stuff? Yeah, we did that too. I figured out I wanted to have the same experience. So, And it was also quite cloudy. So I think that it's one of the few towns or cities where bad weather actually enhances the fairy taleness of it all. The experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So was this the first time you've watched it since you went? Did being in Bruges change the experience of the movie at all, do you think? I think it's the same with, like, you obviously notice, like, when you're actually in Bruges, like, you can see the spots that they filmed were obviously the most fairy tale-ish spots. Right, and there's, right. like, shopping centers, too, and there's, like, whole streets with, like, more modern buildings or, like, just regular, like, not-so-aesthetically-pleasing cityscapes. Yeah. So it's... you see through the facade a little bit uh, at least i see through the facade now like a little bit because i know like okay it's not all of bruges it looks like yeah there is that double carriageway or whatever right after you come off the train that exactly and then there's a whole <laughs> lot more of those kinds of things that, <laughs> that break the illusion a little bit but but no overall it's a lovely town to visit and i'd, I'd highly recommend anyone if you have the chance to do so to yeah go give it a visit Unless maybe you're fleeing your own like deep-seated guilt or something, then you'll just think yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. And then just go to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> in Bruges, by the way, for anybody, like in case you haven't seen it or just as a refresher, if it's been a while, is a movie about like two hitmen who are kind of on the run and they end up in Bruges. And as the movie unfolds, you kind of learn more about why they're there, like what they're running from. And this whole like scenario unfolds, but it's also like a dark comedy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as you already alluded to, it's kind of about 
guilt and dealing with kind of these ethical moral dilemmas or whatever and purgatory and these Mm -hmm. different things it utilizes the place very effectively i think and kind of like the conceit is largely that the main character played by colin farrell hates bruges and just despises it despite the fact that it's this beautiful like fairy tale place Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a fun movie this was the third time i've seen it even though i had seen it twice before already there's always like the way the plot unfolds is so fun like it peels back all these little layers of like Mm -hmm. you know revelation about the characters or the situation and it's very satisfying like Every time I've watched it, it's a little bit surprising and there's there's things that like catch me off guard, even though I had already seen it. And like it's fairly well written in that there's all these little details that you mm-hmm. think like might be a one off joke, but then it ends up coming back later and like playing a significant role in the story. Like they don't leave any thread unconnected. Or, yeah, yeah. You, you know, the way it's structured it. Yeah, I think it's a movie that like it is funny but then it's kind of deceptively deep and poignant as well. Mm -hmm. So what's our angle of attack here? How do you think we should start unpacking what is in Bruges? Yeah, it's a tricky one. Maybe the setting, because as you said, like the place itself plays such an important role. Yeah. It's almost like the city is another character. (laughs) (laughs) People always say that about movies or whatever. Any movie that has a strong setting. Yes, in this scenario, it it is truly uh, the case. It's right in the title, too. Yeah, I guess it's just also slight spoiler territory that the whole setting is basically also this. It comes down to this joke with because as we later learn, like the whole trip to Bruges was sort of a gift towards Ray, Colin Farrell's character. Like Ray finds his character is like the hitman boss, evil type dude. And he wanted to give like Ray this parting gift like he wanted him to see like the beauty of in Bruges or the beauty of Bruges yeah. and so of course it's I think the joke is that of course he absolutely hates it <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but yeah I think there's there's the obvious like symbolism there between it's kind of framed as the fairy tale city it's the film explicitly says like maybe it's purgatory like it's a kind of like heightened realism to it that's you, you get a sense that sense of that in every shot and every location that they're at like it's it's a bit otherworldly i guess enhances that kind of symbolism that's the kind of on the nose stuff probably in the sense that it's explicitly said in the movie that oh maybe this is purgatory yeah yeah (laughs) that kind of comes uh, more towards the end although there's allusions to it like they kind of make this connection at one point early on they go and look at some hieronymus bosch art Mm -hmm. in a museum which kind of depicts like hell or yeah. purgatory in a medieval setting and so there's kind of this connection between the medieval environment that they're in and this, mm-hmm. these ideas of like purgatory and suffering and then the the film set that the movie kind of ends on mm-hmm. that he, where he meets the dwarf and the woman that he goes on a couple dates ray meets the woman he goes on a couple dates with that film set is somebody describes it as at one point as like a Boschian nightmare so there's like yeah yeah Hieronymus Bosch and purgatory are kind of interwoven as themes into this which yeah. is kind of in contrast but also complementary to the medieval beauty and romanticism of the place yeah I, w- I was gonna say that the city you have the obvious symbolism but there's also with the explicit history that's in that city the old paintings the churches and the kind of existential questions of morality that they naturally invoke it also becomes like this plot element almost of this driving or this triggering aspect for both of these characters to kind of explore those themes and to have those revelations about the guilt that they carry and the kind of roads for atonement or redemption that they can envision so it does also like it's not just like set dressing it also is it connects to the development of the characters and the way they communicate to each other and to some extent like the way the plot drives forward because as you said like it, it's literally a plot element because harry wants to basically get rid of ray yeah because as we learn, uh, did we mention that? That Ray, he on his first hit job, he was supposed to kill a priest and he succeeded, but he also, like he hit with the same bullet, it went through the priest and hit like this young child. Like he accidentally killed a child 
uh, on his first job. And so that's obviously, even in the world of Hitman, that's a big no-no because of that. Right. Harry, he's like this, I said he was like the evil character, but he's also like a very principled character. Like he does have a code of honor, which we can probably touch on at some point. But, and so he wants Ray dead. And so that's why he gave this parting gift as the beauty of Bruges as his last, uh, last memory or last experience or something like that. And that's what drives the funniest parts of the movie to me too, mm-hmm. is just this whole dynamic of these hitmen, the culture that they seem to have, which is very like kind of polite. They get very angry at each other. You know, they curse up a storm and all these things, but they also are kind of like oddly just like polite and deferent. And they have this weird like code of ethics and, you know, it comes into play more towards the end, especially between like Harry and Ken, you know, where like <laughs> Ken gives this whole speech and then and then Harry is isn't able to shoot him. And yeah. and obviously one of the key pivotal moments of the film, which is like we find out Ken is the one they've come to Bruges and then Harry calls Ken and Ken's supposed to, to go kill Ray and mm-hmm. he goes to kill him. He finds him at this park and he goes to kill him. But turns out Ray is about to kill himself. And so like <laughs> Ken stops him from killing himself. There's just this dynamic between all the hitmen where it's just such a funny visual to like, <laughs> Right, yes. Ken who is about to shoot Ray, who is about to shoot himself, <laughs> and <laughs> somehow it ends up with nobody getting shot. But <laughs> and then they just they sit there afterwards and talk about the fact that like Ken was about to kill him and he was, you know, they deal with everything in all these very like matter of fact terms. So, yeah, I just love this whole world. There's a world that's constructed beyond just the world of like Bruges and the setting. There's another like a weird culture of hitmen that, you know, I've never met a hitman. I'm assuming it's not actually like this. There's this (laughs) bizarre culture of hitmen that that has been constructed for this film that is in and of itself pretty funny and amusing. Yeah. I think it's it's just also one of those movies that sits on that perfect intersection between having enough budget to do like something worthwhile, but also like not enough to be bounded by like necessity of restraint and yeah. to not go overboard or add too much bloatedness and probably maybe have some studio control, like enough that the director doesn't go like too far in some place. Like it feels like this extremely tight movie where it sets up so many little details and they all like connect, as you said. And I wonder, were there any specific details that you picked up on this time around? Something that I was thinking about, I guess because I had seen it multiple times, it was more immediate to me. There's the reveal at the end, like the whole moral crux of the story is like Mm -hmm. Ray has accidentally killed this child. And the hitmen draw a line in the sand where they're like, you can kill somebody you're paid to kill. You can kill an adult, but like a child that's across the line. You know, we've crossed some Mm -hmm. kind of moral line there. And then a lot of the movie is spent like dealing with where exactly that line falls. And the kind of ironic, jokey reveal at the end is that Harry in trying to kill Ray accidentally kills Jimmy, the dwarf who's Mm -hmm. dressed up as a child and then ends up killing himself because he thinks that he's killed a child, which is Harry has drawn this hard line in the sand. I won't kill a child. He says to Ken earlier, like, if it had been me, I would have stuck the gun in my mouth and killed myself. And that's kind of the standard Mm -hmm. that he's holding Ray to. And then, you know, we end up with this funny situation at the end. But that whole theme of like childhood is very pervasive throughout the whole film. And that's something that I feel like I was more aware of this time than the previous two times I'd watched it. Jimmy as a dwarf is present throughout the film and like to some extent Ray has a very like offensive not politically correct view of Jimmy as a dwarf and kind of finds him funny and that's like part of the film and but like thematically him being like the size of a child ends up playing a role in the film and is kind of there as maybe like a reminder to Ray Part of the reason I think Ray is maybe so fascinated by Jimmy is because he has this trauma associated with accidentally killing this child. And then there's that theme of childhood just then crops up in a lot of different places, like things take place on a playground. The movie that Mm -hmm. they make an allusion to that the film set is filming, a child plays a significant role in that. I forget the it's a Nicholas Roeg film. I forget the name of it. I've seen it a while ago. I don't remember that. I know. You have the hotel owners who's... Is pregnant. 
Yes. I think Don't Look Now is is the film, yeah, by Nicholas Roeg. There's like a child that there's scenes of children in that movie that play a significant role. Harry, the time that he was in Bruges, the last time he was in Bruges, when he he saw it as this fairy tale land and the whole reason he wanted to send Ray, he was there when he was like seven or eight, I think, which is mm-hmm. around the age or a little bit older than the the child that Ray accidentally kills. I don't know. There might be some that I'm missing, but the whole film is kind of just like saturated in this, like mm-hmm. the presence of children or childhood. Yeah. And he goes to a playground also to when he intends to kill himself. Yes. And this is where we can get into this. Maybe the moral dilemma of the film. Ken starts referring to when he's around Harry, especially starts referring to Ray as a boy or the boy. And it's almost setting up the same like okay, it's wrong to kill a child, but then where do you draw that line? And why is it wrong to kill a child? Like there's an innocence there to childhood that it's wrong to put an end to. But what if Ray is a child is kind of, I think, the question that like Ken is dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Probably not like in the literal sense, but in this sense, I mean, like he still has a certain like innocence or at least potential for change. Like he has a future ahead of him in which he can do good, in which he has can still like mean something or overcome whatever he had done in the past. That tension between like Harry wanting to hold Ray to this moral standard and then Ken wanting to give him this second chance kind of becomes the pivotal conflict there. How do you feel watching this movie? I'm curious. Like it's a very strange film in that like you're you're presented with this character who Ray is a horrible person and he's killed a child you're not given any like objective reason to really like sympathize with him. But like the feeling I have throughout the movie is like, I don't really want him to to have to die. I'm curious how you feel and and what you think about the way this movie is maybe like playing with our sympathies for these terrible people. You're supposed to feel some sympathy for Colin Farrell's character. I think he just, as an actor, he does so much of the work because he is so good in this movie. Like he's, I think he's one of the funniest parts he's ever played and for me it's like one of my favorite like comedic performances of all time now that i think of it you also have like when you mention like ray being this kind of childlike character you also see it in the way he sort of sulks around behind ken there's this scene in the church where ken is kind of in this adult reverence for like the, the church as this sacred space where you're supposed to be quiet and then ray's sitting there like playing around with the chair and then he's he gets like uh, criticized by Ken and then he steps up and he drags his feet across the floor and he's still making noise and he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just kind of being this annoying little brat about having to do like adult stuff. And yeah, those moments he feels like just he really does feel like this little boy who he just wants to go and play instead of tag along with yeah. mommy and daddy <laughs> <laughs> to see all the boring old history. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by MUBI, the curated streaming service showing hand-picked exceptional films from around the globe, which both Thomas and I have been big fans of for many years. They have a fantastic library of amazing films, and they add a new one every day. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, there's always something new to discover. And if you want to listen to more in-depth discussions about cinema, Mubi's acclaimed audio documentary series, The Mubi Podcast, returns this summer for its second season. This time it's going to focus on movie theaters themselves. It's titled Only in Theaters, and the new season will tell surprising stories of individual movie theaters that had a huge impact on film history and, in some cases, history in general. You can listen to the latest season of the movie podcast absolutely free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to try Mubi itself, you can do so for free for 30 days by going to Mubi.com slash Cinema of Meaning. That's Mubi, M-U-B-I dot com slash Cinema of Meaning for 30 days of great cinema for free. Click the link in the description or go to movie.com slash cinema of meaning for your extended 30-day free trial. I do think you're supposed to see within Ray also like the potential for both for evil and for good, I think. like Or at the very least, like the struggle with conscience, or at least for me, like I didn't feel like I wanted Ray to have a happy ending or like I wanted, I didn't necessarily want him to escape or like be absolved from his sins. And I really liked the direction the the ending took like that he mentions like if he survives like i'm gonna go to this boy's family i'm gonna like offer myself up to them and i'm gonna accept whatever punishment they 
have for me. I think that's that's for him like the best possible outcome at this point because he yeah yeah he plays it so well in the way he you really get to viscerally experience his struggle with guilt. You know that he if he were to like escape to some faraway place, he's not going to be happy. If he were going to do something else or anything else, basically, like he would not be able to let this go. So you want something else from him. I think naturally, other than just the typical standard happy ending. And I think that's one of the, for me, one of the most fascinating parts of this movie is that I don't know many other stories that really communicate the weight of guilt in this way. It kind of reminded me of the Dostoevsky novel, Crime and Punishment, in which you, Mm -hmm. there's a different character and premise, but it also comes down to this guy who kills someone and then is kind of overwhelmed by the guilt he didn't expect to have like he becomes like physically ill like he has he gets like a fever he's like bed stricken and and it it feels weird like reading that like if you're like fortunately i'm not carrying that kind of guilt so i wouldn't know what that's like but yet i almost can't imagine like the way that would like physically encapsulate like your whole body instead of just being something that you like i have minor regrets but like I can like sort of push them away or like get over them or like let them go. Like I haven't yet experienced like the sense of guilt from something that's also like something that's completely irreversible. Like that's one of the major aspects of uh, race guilt. Like he's done something like, and he brings it up again and again. Like there's no undoing what he has done. Like he says like this, I think towards the end, he says there's like this Christmas tree somewhere in England with a bunch of presents that will never be opened. And I think somewhere else he said like, this boy is dead. Like he's never going to be alive again. Like he's never going to see Bruges or there's a way to the kind of guilt when you have done something that's irreversible and that you obviously feel bad about that I find really interesting. When I think about like minor regrets, I've had like moments where, for example, I remember like it's like a couple of years ago, I was driving my car and I cut someone off, like like another car. Like it wasn't like this major thing. I thought I had right mm-hmm. of way, but I didn't in hindsight. It wasn't this big thing because there was a car coming from the other side and he was kind of very slowly like driving or like turning onto the road that I was on. And I kind of like swiveled around him, like not fortunately, not dangerously, but definitely like a bit jerkishly. (laughs) I truly felt like bad about that the whole day after. Like I I was like completely off of my, like like (laughs) my whole mind. I couldn't let it go. Like I kept replaying it in my mind because the worst thing about it was the car was this like education car. Like there was a student driving in it. Oh yeah. Who are like marked with, but I didn't know if there was like a student in it or it was just the owner of the, because in, in, I'm not sure how it is in the United States, but we have a lot of like cars are just like, like self-employed. Yeah. So they kind of drive around privately as well as for when they're educating someone. So of course, in hindsight, like I figured like maybe I should have stopped or like made some sort of signal towards the other car that they would know that I was wrong and I like acknowledge it, but I didn't do that. Like, it's funny how in, in a moment like that, you kind of like panic. And so I guess I can understand, like, I wouldn't justify, like, people driving away after, like, a more serious altercation or, like, even an accident. But I understand, like, the impulse that people might have. I don't know how it's in the United States, but we have this law that you can still, if you're in an accident, like, in a car accident, and you report it within 24 hours, you're still, like, good. Like, they kind of, like, acknowledge the psychology. Like, sometimes people will just do weird things in, like, a panicked state or, yeah. Yeah, panicked state. And so they have that within the law, there's this little bit of breathing room for like people to get to the census and then come back and face whatever it is they have to face. But so, yeah, but that was just like the tiniest example. But I, right. Like, and even that, like it weighed on my conscience, like for quite a bit, like I felt like I should have acted differently. Like I should have done something else, which I didn't. And so I can only imagine like what that will be like if I did like something I would truly regret, like something big and irreversible. And I think we tend to underestimate if you are not like familiar with having that kind of guilt, like what the true weight of that is and what it just would cost you like mentally and physically. And yeah, yeah, I think that's something that Imbruj just perfectly communicates almost. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the point it's making at the end of the movie about being purgatory is like being in Bruges by race standard because he says like mm-hmm. you know maybe that's hell being in Bruges for eternity or something like that it's like being in Bruges isn't really being in Bruges it's for him 
like I think the movie is kind of presenting this concept of like being in a place that by all regards should be this like kind of pleasant fairy tale, but yet all you can think about is the horrible thing you've done or how terrible it is or like you Mm -hmm. are stuck in this horrible place like mentally. And so it's like no matter where you go, you could go to the nicest, you know, most idyllic spot in wherever and you'd still feel this way. And that's the kind of the purgatorial like stuck in guilt or stuck in whatever Mm -hmm. that this movie is dealing with. And the movie is kind of like showing that arc of like Ray realizing that and kind of coming to terms with Mm -hmm. that, that moment where he says something about like wanting to go to the Bahamas instead. But I feel like you could have also made this movie in the Bahamas and like made like kind of the same movie because like in the Bahamas, Ray would have found a way to be just as miserable as he is in Bruges probably. Yeah. The movie offers like different roads for atonement. Yeah. You have Harry's character who's very like, principled about okay if you cross this line like it's game over like it's best to just either kill yourself or let yourself be killed by someone else whereas ken he is more like about like okay you killed this boy now try to save the next one yeah to which ray responds like uh, what am i going to be like a doctor (laughs) 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 but anyways like he believes like the, the road of atonement is to try and do like it's more like a karma kind of thing where you yeah. you've done bad and now you have to outweigh it with like good intentions. Good. But I think yeah. in the end, Ray finds his own sort of solution. As we said, like it's a sort of in between version. Like he's not killing himself or he's not dying or at least not. It wasn't his intention or not, not his hope. Like he wants to live on, but he wants to like receive punishment essentially. That's the version that most people I think in society would want from somebody who has committed some kind of wrong. Maybe not for a hitman, but imagine a scenario mm-hmm. where you just accidentally commit manslaughter or some kind of horrific atrocity, like in an unintentional way, or even if it was intentional. But like specifically with mm-hmm. this movie, where the key issue is dealing with like a kind of an accident. And it's like, I think most people in society would say like, yeah, like the right thing to do in that situation is to just accept whatever punishment the legal system or society like has for you. It sucks because like, obviously you didn't intend for that thing to happen, but then like bear the the weight of that punishment. And that's kind of the path that, that Ray ultimately goes down. He doesn't exactly offer him up to like the lawful punishment. He like, he specifically mentions going to the family and whatever they want. So maybe if they want prison for him, that's fine. Yeah. If they want to lock him up in a basement somewhere and torture right. him. That's like, that's fine too. Then I guess like he's not going to like enjoy it either way, but he wants to lose the, the burden of that weight, I guess, any way he can. Yeah, the key is that he's giving it up. He's not like trying to, which I think is the dichotomy on either side of him. You have Harry and Ken, who Mm -hmm. is like, Ken is like, okay, we save you. And Harry's like, we must punish you. But both of them are still leaving it within their own hands, their own system of justice, their Mm -hmm. own, like they are still getting to be the arbiters of, you know, punishment, which is interesting. I think, especially if you, one thing I picked up more on this time is like Ken's history where we find out that he had a a wife his wife was killed and then it's alluded to at least or mentioned that like he killed the person who killed his wife so like i think harry did right i think that's why he's indebted to oh oh yes harry. that's why yeah. he's indebted to harry so there's this idea too that like ken has seen justice within this system mm-hmm. himself of like oh i have received for myself kind of this quote unquote justice through this outlaw system or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he is leaning on the side of grace by wanting to like help Ray go free, but he's still operating within that world of like trying mm-hmm. to be the arbiter of justice himself outside of the family or the law or society as a whole. In a sense, like Ray in giving himself up to other people is escaping like both of those options. Yeah, that's. That's interesting. I guess it comes down to in in both of those perspectives, like with Ken and Harry, they are both trying to be their own judge or give themselves like yes, yeah, absolution or find some way. And I think that's a lot of tendency that a lot of people have when they are 
God doing something bad or trying to like ease their own conscience. Like they'll try to make up their own justifications or their own like path for redemption. And it's especially hard to like really give yourself up at the mercy of someone else. Like I don't think there's a lot of people who would be inclined to do something to like do that, that when they have transgressed in some way or another or committed a crime or at least done something that they themselves feel guilty of and that they want some absolution from. That's an interesting aspect too that I hadn't really thought about before. But yeah. I, I thought of it as we've been talking about mm -hmm. it and kind of as as I was watching it this time. It's not a fully formed, there might be some holes in the movie in that in that <laughs> theory. It's not a fully formed idea, but that's my on-the-fly thesis of like the kind of moral situation in the film. I don't know. That's what I love about this movie is it's like, it's kind of a fun, well, not fun. I don't, I wouldn't describe this movie as fun necessarily. It's an outlandish, funny movie. But like it's also dealing with these like heavy issues in a complex and interesting way, mm -hmm. which is great. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm trying to think of if there's any other movies that deal with guilt and punishment in a way that In Bruges does. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Because yeah, going back to like the the point you said about Ray being not this great character, like this whole movie. From the beginning, it, it's almost like something that shouldn't work on paper because it's it's balancing right. so many different tones. It has the extremely dark comedy, and then there's these extremely tragic themes, and then within Ray as well, like he's super funny. He's like this childlike character almost, but he's also like someone who's genuinely did something bad. And and then there's other moments where he kind of like he's reminded of that, and then he breaks into like this super serious character who also wants to communicate about like this this beautiful scene where he and Ken are talking about like he's trying to at first he's talking about like oh what do you think about uh, like hell and heaven and all that sort of stuff, and then Ken goes on this kind of tangent, and he's like you can see like Ray growing frustrated like I'm trying to like talk to you about something here, and and then Ken of course he's like oh yeah. And it's balancing so many of these different emotions, and it's a weird movie too. Like, I wonder how he like the director like sold it because it's like how, <laughs> how do you I, I still this? find it like difficult to describe in terms of like if I'm trying to manage like expectations of someone. Like, it's funny, but it's also kind of sad, and it's a fun watch, but it's also like really deep and like there's, there's lots of stuff going on. You talking about that scene where they're having that conversation about hell reminded me of that moment right after Ray is trying to kill himself and then Ken comes up and stops him. You know, they're both like, what are you doing? And Ray's like, you were going to kill me. And Ken is like, well, you were going to kill yourself. So like, what's the big deal? And, mm -hmm. and uh, Ray is like, yeah, but I'm allowed to kill myself. You're not. And Ken's like, no, you're, you're not allowed to kill yourself, which also it kind of feeds into that point of like whose hand is justice allowed to rest in like mm -hmm. you know in that instance ken's kind of saying like you're not allowed to take justice into your own hands it's up to me to either dish it out or let you go free but then you know he kind of turns on that towards the end ken's jumping off the tower at the end is kind of an odd point because like in some sense he's choosing to end his own life but he's also trying to do it as like an act to save ray mm-hmm yeah, it's more of a, even though the gun is completely mangled by the time he gets it, <laughs> that, that part always, always gets me. <laughs> he so dutifully tucks it in, into his coat so it doesn't get destroyed yeah. when he falls. And then it's just it's wires and. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those moments where the movie takes these strange, like yeah. unexpected turns or like almost because of like trivialities the whole scene with ray escaping he's put on the train and then he's set to escape somewhere and it's like almost like done and then he gets recognized by this cop from this guy who he had a fight with back in a bar which was like this completely at the time it feel, felt like this completely unrelated moment but yeah that's again it's one of those examples where stuff like from earlier comes back to it's a great film to watch with like an eye for detail because it, it's very rewarding in that sense it's the same thing with when uh, Harry, he's like picking up the gun to go kill Ken. Like he denies like the Uzi right. because he's not like some gangster from LA, but he does take like these, I'm not sure what they call them, but yeah, the sort yeah. of head exploding bullets, which 
obviously come back in the end as they pass through Ray, but then with the dwarf, his head is blown up because of it. And so that's why he also doesn't right. recognize him as an adult, but he only sees like yeah. the child's body, so to say. And there's another one that I thought of that you have this scene early on where Ken is trying to visit the tower, but he only has like uh, 490 of the five euros that he needs and because he's trying to get rid of his change and the guy, the cashier, was won't allow it. So he has to take back the coins and break a 50. But then at the end, when he's up at the tower, that's why he still has like the coins and he can like throw them as the, the warning sign for it so that he doesn't land on someone. And then that same guard can't be bribed with a $100 bill because like we've already established that he's by the books, by the rules kind of guy. It's very well written in that regard. I think I appreciated this movie more after I watched Martin McDonough's most recent film because I watched In Bruges first and then saw Three Billboards mm-hmm. and then I've seen In Bruges twice since then, I think. Three Billboards is a very mm-hmm. different kind of movie. I mean, it also has some kind of like darkly comedic elements, but it's a more mm-hmm. serious drama and is well written. But like it was seeing like, oh, there's, you know, this is not just a off kilter hitman comedy. Like there's something else going on underneath in Bruges mm-hmm. than just like a funny dark comedy. Have you seen Seven Psychopaths as well? I haven't seen that yet. No, I I, uh, I want to see that one. Is that is that one good? Yeah, it's it's not as tight, I would say, as in Bruges. It also has Colin Farrell in another great performance and also the guy who's also in Three Billboards and Moon. Sam Rockwell? Yeah. He's yeah. also in Seven Psychopaths in a fantastic role. Seven Psychopaths also really has this kind of meta layer that's also in in Bruges, but it's more explicit in uh, Seven Psychopaths, where there's like the main character is trying to write this story. And then we obviously see the story unfold. And then it also kind of starts to unfold like yeah, in the story of the world itself. And that's kind of in Bruges also has these meta layers where and you mentioned like there's a movie that's going on, like there's filming a movie in the movie and yeah. Towards the end, it becomes like it adds like this level of theatricality. And there's this funny moment also at right before Harry and Ray have their confrontation in the hotel. And the, the hotel owner is like, Can you just not just put down the guns and go home? And you're like, No, this yeah. is a shootout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> By the logic of like the third act finale, this has to happen. <laughs> I won't spoil Seven Psychopaths, but that film has a similar moment where it kind of like sets up an expectation for any third act and then kind of subverts it in a really interesting way yeah. while also kind of having its cake and eating it too. But yeah, that's that might be one an interesting film to also talk about at some point. But yeah, for now, it, it's just in, in Bruges that it was just this, it was more like these little moments sprinkled in between. There's a joke in there towards the beginning that I really like when Ken first meets Jimmy at the bar and he asks him what kind of movie they're filming. And I forget what exactly he says, but Jimmy says something about indie, Euro trash, something or other. Mm-hmm. And like, and Ken <laughs> is just like, oh, like in a bad way. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I appreciate those uh, filmmaker jokes. I've had Southern yeah. Psychopaths on my, on my list for a while. I uh, haven't mm-hmm. gotten around to it. So maybe I'll have to bump that one up on the list. So for last question, maybe like, what do you think about the ending? Do you think... Ray survives, or what are we supposed to feel there? I feel like he's made it out of purgatory. So like kind Mm -hmm. of whether or not he survives, he's progressed to whatever's next, like back into life, whether that's in the real world or like beyond this one, maybe not literally, but just like within the function of the story, you know, it's kind of like, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's left ambiguous on purpose. So I guess I don't have a strong feeling as to there being one specific answers. Yeah. I think it's one of those films where from whatever angle you look at it, like thematically or symbolically or like plot technically, it's everything is resolved. Like, yeah. And so it doesn't need to have like a stronger ending. Like even if you interpret it as like metaphorically, like he's dying, but he's metaphorically going to heaven, like that's the same ending as you would get when you would say like he survives and goes to accept his punishment and then maybe finds the same kind of redemption or at least absolution. Yeah, so I think I read that in the original script there was a scene written behind it or that was supposed to come after the actual ending in which it was 
implied or at least more strongly suggested or even like maybe explicitly stated that Ray would survive, but mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter like how you interpret it in the literal sense, that is. The key is like when he's like in voiceover kind of saying the thing he's saying at the end of like, mm -hmm. I'll accept my punishment. I like believe him as a character. Mm -hmm. Like I believe his character at that point. And I think like that's what what matters ultimately is that he's kind of been able to in some sense, like not escape the guilt, but at least like come to terms with it by accepting punishment mm -hmm. and giving up like control of his life. You know, he's no longer trying to just like punish mm -hmm. himself. Yeah. Like, I think that's the key. So what happens to him after that isn't that important to, to me personally. Yeah. It's kind of like the ending to Inception where a lot of people speculate about like what yeah. does it mean exactly like is he dreaming is he not dreaming was it all a dream all along but yeah like any like every interpretation would have the same just a different expression of the same ending basically right. which i think it's fascinating when you can do that with a movie yeah but, yeah i don't want him to die but if he if he did die it would kind of be like he's at least reached some kind of peace like prior to dying if he lives on mm -hmm. i'd be a little bit worried that like a month would pass and then he'd like, like even though i do believe him as he's saying that he is such a childish character that like i'd be a little worried he'd like get into some kind of circumstance and like go back on his word or like fall yeah. fall back into trying to escape guilt or something i would worry for him a little bit if he survives i think yeah, but i don't uh, think he's gonna come out like a perfect saint <laughs> no he's probably still got some issues he needs to deal with. <laughs> well, I wonder to what extent there's an intentionality there between, because you do see him like when he's in the restaurant and he there's this guy next to him that makes the, the Canadian, that makes this kind of sassy remark that yeah. he's like, am I going to let this go? Yeah. Mm, yeah mm. I'm not going to be able to like, he seeks out the confrontation anyways. It is suggested that it is a little bit in his nature that he... He's this natural troublemaker to some extent, and he will probably find himself in trouble again if he were to survive this movie. But but I guess what that says is also that like you maybe don't redemption doesn't have to mean like becoming a perfect saint right. afterwards. Like it's also you can still be a flawed person and be deservant of like redemption or like at least absolution or yeah. There's one final thing that I was thinking about, and that's when you talk about like the idea of needing absolution and specifically like in the form of like giving yourself up to someone else or at least some other force other than your own. Like, yeah. To what extent do you think that human beings in general depend on like having some external force that judges them or like guides them or punishes them or absolves them for that matter? I definitely think it's a trap to be stuck entirely within your own like sense of self-justification or you know especially in instances where you've maybe wronged someone else it's like in mm -hmm. order to escape the guilt of having wronged someone else like i think you do kind of need to give yourself over to something else you know even if that's the law in the sense of like society's agreed upon like punishment for the thing like i think you're you're going to be unable to escape that if you are just trying to absolve yourself within yourself because it's like you've kind of gone in doing the harm that you've done to another person you've kind of gone beyond yourself so like mm -hmm. if you punish yourself for that it doesn't in a sense like i don't know if it really counts because like the person who's been wronged doesn't know that I don't know, it, you know, it's it, it's all very complicated. But like, yeah, I definitely think there's something to that that psychology of like, if you've wronged somebody else and then you just decide like, oh, I've made it good, that doesn't really resolve the situation. Like, that's internal to you, and to have some kind of real absolution, you need something outside yourself, hopefully involving like the person who was wronged or yeah. like you know a third party mediator or something. Yeah, I think the issue, of course, with going directly to the person you have wronged is that they might be like overly emotional too. Yes, and yeah. then it might turn into like this revenge fantasy right. deal. But yeah, I was thinking about the novel Crime and Punishment that I mentioned by Dostoevsky because the character in that 
story also he doesn't get like the, a clear or as clear of a redemption at the end as Ray does in in Bruges like he ultimately confesses his crime he's sent to this like Siberian work camp but he doesn't like he feel like his soul isn't like completely restored like even if he had has like accepted the punishment of like the man's law but he kind of gives himself over to, to God at the end if I remember correctly yeah there's a more religious aspect I think right. to that redemption but yeah it's been a while since I've read it so I don't have it that fresh in my mind I think either way it's like this it's more presented as this work in progress like you have to continue to work actively on this like yeah. on, the, on the road towards restoration and yeah redemption it's it's not something that you achieve and then you have it and then you're done it's like this continuous path which is an idea that I kind of like although yeah. it might not be as hopeful for those who are actually dealing with guilt but yeah there at least there is some like road or path to be taken there's a way towards uh, redemption i think and just gotta work hard towards it i guess yeah i think some people think about like redemption and they think like oh redemption is like restoring everything to the place that it's been and i am like mm -hmm. i don't know that it's necessarily that like because you can't go back and undo the wrong so like sometimes people have an overly high standard for i think what redemption looks like but like part of redemption is that accepting of what you've done like you know if you have this idea of like oh i've done this wrong thing and now i can be redeemed and that means i'll never feel bad about it again society will totally accept me mm -hmm. and it'll be as if i never did it it's like that's not really an attainable reality like in a non-spiritual yeah. sense, I think. And I think that's part of the reason why like redemption is is often seen in, in spiritual terms is because like, you know, in a sense, completely wiping the slate clean, like is kind of an impractical reality on like mm -hmm. a, a functional level, like, they, you know, because it, it doesn't yeah. work that way in real life. I think there is kind of like a personal redemption hopefully i don't know i haven't experienced this so i don't really know i haven't mm -hmm. been into like deep deep guilt and then experienced redemption from that although there's all there's i think we've all to some extent dealt with situations where like we feel like we've wronged somebody or we did something and then you know mm -hmm. experience what it's like to be to have the other person like tell you like no no that's okay but i think like such a important part of that process is like is like letting go of that control of your moral standing like and that's mm -hmm. that almost allows you to like feel redemption in yourself regardless of then like you might be in prison for the rest of your life it's like but feel redeemed like you've been given a second chance because you've faced up to the consequences for whatever you whatever wrong has been done it's a complicated yeah. process idea psychology maybe that i think like we don't really have a lot of words for in modern society outside of like religious frameworks that like that's where the, a lot of these ideas have been traditionally dealt with and then you know in our in our modern society we haven't replaced uh, those things mm -hmm. except except in very legal terms mm -hmm. usually but that doesn't deal with people's like internal yeah. kind of it's not the spiritual slash personal slash right. cultural aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you you see that same lack of language in a lot of movies, I think, where you where redemption is often portrayed as this one act of redemption, basically. Yes, like yeah. this, Usually, like, this one-off, like, sacrifice or, like, some bad character. He's has this change of heart at the end of the movie and then sacrifices him or herself or... And then all is good. Like there's, there's this whole movie with, it was this comedy, I'm forgetting the name. It was this kind of apocalyptic movie with like James Franco, Seth Rogen, and, and a whole bunch of those comedic actors. And then they also, they all tried to go into heaven. And then it turned out like, oh, the best way to go into heaven is to make this, to make a kind of like sacrifice. And so, but it also showed this really like simplistic idea of like, okay, do this one act to put the odds back into your favor and then ascend upwards but yeah it's always difficult when movies they try to convey something that takes like these complicated emotions like grief or guilt something that people usually struggle with for a prolonged amount of time that they never truly resolve and then in the films in movies we obviously we tell stories in 
in yeah. ways that are compressed and that have like these nice like resolutions. And there's a lot of things in life that obviously do not directly offer that, which makes those more difficult to talk about. But that's also why I do really admire the movies that do. And yeah, I think uh, In Bruges is definitely uh, one of those movies that, at least when it comes to guilt and communicating the burden and like communicating the weight and really emphasizing the roads towards resolution, like the, the ways that will probably won't work, the, the ways that might. Yeah, I think that's what made it worth watching for me. Yeah, I like that compression that, that you mentioned. It's often, unfortunately, I think, finds itself in like violent justice mm. in films yeah, yeah. because like especially if you think about like serialized murder mysteries or or just murder mysteries in general like the amount of times the story is kind of resolved by like oh the killer gets shot or you know dies it's like mm -hmm. because like them going to court and then going to prison and like all of that has to happen like after the movie or be this big long it's like that's not fun to watch that's inconvenient that's messy so we want something like concise that's like, oh yes, justice was served. They got what was coming for them and and now the movie can end. And it's like, you know, as you said, that's not really the way that life works most of the time. And I think there's kind of an empty justice in that often where it's like, it's just an eye for an eye type of retribution instead of like a true like redemption mm -hmm. or justice or, or something like that. So I appreciate that in Bruges, comes to that point of like you know you have this feeling of redemption but it's also extending that beyond the film and implying that some larger sort of change has to take place for ray in order for that like redemption to be real i agree thank you all for listening if you enjoyed this episode be sure to check out our creator-owned streaming service nebula where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early without any ads and you get to hear exclusive bonus episodes our first one on sam mendez's 1917 is out right now the best way that you can get nebula if you don't have it is by signing up for curiosity stream which comes with a free nebula subscription you can go to curiositystream.com cinema of meaning or click the link in the show notes to sign up today and we'll see you again next time.